And Father, we thank you for Peter. We thank you for his life. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, bless him to this morning as he speaks. I pray, Father, that he would know your presence, uh, that, God, he would know your life force as to who you are is flowing through him. And I pray, God, that you would open up our ears to hear the, the message that you have for us this morning through him. And God, I pray above all that he would simply recognize and enjoy you while he's here. That this would be a, a morning of blessing uh, for Peter. I pray, God, there's any stress or anything like that, that you would remove that. But I pray you'd simply release him just to enjoy you and enjoy your family this morning here at Vintage. We bless you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Whew. Wow, the lights are bright. Um, wow. Um, well, we are so honored to be church planners with the Transformation Network. Um, we're honored to be here. We, the great part about being a part of a network is we get to hear your victories. And we hear so many amazing stories of health and life and restoration and of people walking and who they're called to be coming out of your body. And so uh, we're just honored to be here. Um, I say we um, because um, if Masha was standing here, you would think a lot better of me. You know, have you ever seen a guy and you wonder, how did he get that girl? You think she must see something in him that we don't. So you would, I'm just, so look for Masha and you'll understand. Um, but um, we, our passion, just, you know, you know, informationally, our passion is for people to arise, to rise up into their destiny and their calling, to find the people they're called to run with, and to go forth and to cause the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. What does that look like? That could be in business, that could be in the arts, that could be in education, wherever it is. That's our passion, is that we understand that we have kind of an acrostic with arise. A is adoption, that we are adopted as sons and daughters that we carry the DNA of our father and that as a result we recognize that he wants to bring restoration into every area of our lives and that as we experience restoration as we discover who we were always meant to be being intimate with God and intimate with others is easy because we no longer are ashamed we're excited about who he's made us to be and so we can allow others in and we can allow God in and then that leads to supernatural because see if you've got a supernatural God on the inside there should be more coming out of you than is natural do you understand that being joyful in a hostile work environment is supernatural we're called to display more than what humanity can do on its own because otherwise there's no point. And that leads us to be the E of being equipped, empowered, and released into the destiny that God's called us to. Um, uh, yeah, we meet Saturday nights, Riverstone, 6 p.m. Uh, the great part about that is you can double dip. So, um, and, uh, we, and so you're allowed to sneak in. We won't tell anybody you came. And you can sneak out, and we won't, and we won't be offended that you only came once. Okay? So feel free. Um, today, I, I had a totally different message prepared. Um, and uh, yesterday, the Lord just yanked it all out from under us. Um, and uh, want to speak out of Ephesians today. Um, Ephesians is an amazing book. It's a powerful book. It's a confusing book. And um, let me just set the background. Um, Paul 
grew up in an area called um, Cilicia in Tarsus. It's on the bottom edge, right edge of Turkey. If we can pull up that um, map. Um, it's, it's right about where the, the eye in Antioch is, over there to your right. And he grew up there, and he was zealous for God, and that meant that he hunted down and killed Christians. He was a member of ISIS. Think about it that way. And I don't know about you, but I imagine that the Jews at that time, the, the new Christians felt about him the way a lot of times we feel about ISIS, but in his own neighborhood. And in the middle of him doing his best to destroy the kingdom of God, God met him. And within a few days, he went from someone killing Christians to someone who was proclaiming boldly that Jesus Christ is the only way. We, we've got to believe for more than what we can do. A human being cannot take a member of ISIS and four days later having them preach. God can. But anyway, so he, um, he, a lot of things God did in his life, but about 14 years after he um, came to know God, personally, he felt led to go on a mission trip. But you need to understand, he felt led to go from Cilicia to the neighboring province of Galatia. That'd be like, Lord, send me anywhere, but don't send me to deep, darkest Alabama. You know, a lot of times we, 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 we're like, uh, sometimes, and, and I, we were on the mission field for years in Russia. Many times I felt it was easier for me to be who God called me to be somewhere where nobody knew my name. Where I could just, you know, like for a weekend, I could become someone else. Let me challenge you, especially like those going to Guatemala. Realize that if you experience something different about who you are in that context, that is a foretaste of what you get to live in every day in vintage. That, that's, that's one of the great things. And so he went to some of the, the synagogues in the area that he knew over in Galatia. And uh, he was so well-loved that about two weeks after he was in a town, they'd drive him out. You know, they'd, they'd stone him. They'd try to do something. But the amazing power of the gospel, you know, um, you know, we've been had it on our heart to plant a church for five years. He's in a town for two weeks and leaves a powerful, growing church. That's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is more than we understand because it's enough to be able to plant a thriving church in just two weeks. But he kept getting driven out and, and he came back. He had an amazing time. But then he went out on another missionary journey to Mississippi. He went a little further down the road. And he went up and he did this big circle. You see Philippi up there. Came down to Athens. Went to Corinth. Remember, you guys are in Corinthians right now. And then at the end, he went over to Ephesus. Never staying more than a few weeks in any one place. Because they wouldn't accept him. He came into Ephesus. He, was, he had been stoned before. He was, he was bro- his body was broken. And he came to Ephesus. And he en- ended up being able to be there for three whole years. Um, and as a result, he was able to plant this church. This was his favorite church, you know, because he spent time with them. He loved them. They were powerful. And so years later, he's writing a letter to them. And the problem is, have you ever been to a family reunion of a family you're not a member of? You know, and everybody's like, hey, man, well, remember Uncle Albert 71? Yeah. Oh, my God. So that's amazing. Everybody laughs and you're like clueless. Uh, this Ephesians is like an inside joke. He's writing to people who he poured into over and over and over again. And he's now reminding them of what he told them. So the first chapter is, uh, it's very, it can be confusing because he slams everything together. Every phrase in there is essentially like a sermon title. 
He's like, remember I told you this? Remember I told you this? And it's like, it's overwhelming. And so, you know, the first time I really tried to dive into Ephesians, I remember I read the first chapter like five or six times, and I still couldn't figure out what was going on. You ever have that? You know, you're like... By the way, I really like the emperor's new clothes. I like it when we're actually honest about our personal experience. You ever had worship where you're convinced that you're the only one who's not encountering Jesus and you're just having an encounter with your indigestion? You know, the thing is, I think if we were aware of what our struggles are, if we knew what was really going on in our neighbor, we'd be deeply encouraged about how much God's doing in me. And so the thing is, is I was, dig- I was digging in the word. And I couldn't get it. So I did. I, I, I had to find a way. And I came up with this for myself. I broke the thing down into the little tiny bits and pieces. And I kind of diagrammed it to try to figure out what's going on and to slow me down. And that just helps me. Um, God has a way for each of us to be able to encounter his word in a meaningful and powerful way. Um, but we can only encounter scripture as we do it with God. Ever read scripture and it was like chewing gravel? A few of us. Okay, we'll have a therapy session afterwards. But, but the thing is, every time I come to scripture, I actually have to deal with this lie. I'm not going to get anything out of it. It's not for me. And I can't encounter God in this. I want you to know. But as I come to scripture and I say, God, I want to meet you. Show me yourself. He comes every time. All right, so we're going to dive in. I'm going to dive in in the middle of this because, again, this is, this is dense, dense stuff. But if you've got Bibles or iPads or iPhones, I, I'd love to welcome you to flip to um, or turn to or click to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to go right into the middle. Um, while we're doing that, I'm just going to pray. Papa, I thank you so much that... It is your good pleasure to give us little children the kingdom. Lord, we just ask you right now to give each of us a deeper understanding of what that means for us today. We love you. In your name. Amen. All right. So he starts out in verse 7. I'm just going to read through 7 through 10. We're doing only four verses, fear not. And then we're going to come, go back and go through it. In him we have redemption through the, his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. I don't know about you. The first time I read that, it was a whole lot of words. I knew every word individually. I had no idea what it meant overall. Uh, But so let's just dive in. He starts out saying, in him we have redemption through his blood. So, Jesus Christ died on the cross because each of us, because of what had been done to us and what we did ourselves, found ourselves separated from God. Colossians calls it enemies in our own minds. See, God has not been your enemy. But people have felt that God was out to get them. Remember in the garden... Adam and Eve, they sin. And so God is like, oh, I'm so mad at you. I'm never going to talk to you again. Right? Is that what happened? No. They're sinning and they're hiding in their shame because they think God's out to get them. And what does God do? Oh, three o'clock time for our afternoon walk. <laughs> Adam. Adam. 
Now, has God lost Adam? See, when God asks you a question, God, Adam, where are you? He's not asking for information. He's asking for you to have revelation. You to have an encounter. And so he goes, Adam, and and Adam's like, over here. He knew he couldn't hide and play hide and seek with God very long. And God's like, God is not, do you hear him go, I am so mad at you. He goes, we were hiding because we were naked. Okay. She's like, God's like, man, I'm so mad. No. Who told you you were naked? Do you see God has never been your enemy? He's always been for you. He's always been trying to bridge the gap of your, of us saying, no, no, God, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to, I can, I can take care of myself or hiding from God in shame because we think he's mad at us. We think he's ticked off and we think he's out to get us. And he's none of the above. And so that's why he sent Jesus to die. Because he said, if you can't come to me, I'm coming to you. And Jesus died so that the veil would be torn. That we could come face to face with our father, our daddy. And see how much he loves us. But he went even one step further. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. Redemption is this idea of buying someone out of slavery or paying a debt to get them out of jail. Um, Bailing someone out of jail. And, And the thing is, he says, the depth of that redemption is according to the riches of his glory. How rich is God? He's doing pretty good, isn't he? He's never had a downturn in the economy. He's awesome. The thing is, he has more than enough. You may say, well, you don't know what I've done. Yes, I don't. But he does. And he's never turned his love off. He's never quit loving you. He's never quit pursuing you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And so he wants you to know that it doesn't matter what you've done. He has enough for it. But not just that. It says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on him. What is grace? We throw that term around a lot. I think the best way to think of that is, it is the fire hose of his love that is pointed at you 24-7 to empower you to do the will of God. And to encounter God in all that he has for us. It's just his love. It's not, oh, here you go. Here's three graces. Here's four for you. Don't use them all up in one place. It's not that. It is actually an ongoing and continual flow of love towards you to empower you. And it says, how much grace? He says that we've lavished on him. See, redemption is get you out of jail. You walk out of jail and you're flat broke and you have nothing. That's zero. Redemption gets you to zero. But he doesn't do that. He says grace that he lavished more than enough. In other words, he didn't just give you enough to get you out of jail. He got, gave you enough to get you into heaven. Elsewhere it says we're seated in Ephesians 2 in heavenly places. He didn't just leave us where we are. Some of us have bought the lie that Christianity is, all right, I paid off all your debts, but don't you get in debt again. I'm done, all right? This is your last warning. That is not the kingdom. The kingdom is, I'm not gotten you out to zero. I'm bringing you up to a million. I'm bringing you into the fullness of what God has for you. That we can go from glory to glory. And so he goes on and he says, so, so this is our location. Our location is where we start. Your location today might be, I don't really, haven't had an encounter with that Jesus. Or your location might be, I've had an encounter with him, but nothing's really happened. I don't know what yours is, but I'll tell you something about your location. Part of your location is tied to inability, failure, defeat, and shame. That's where you find yourself. 
You find yourself in a place where there, you know you're made for more than what you're experiencing right now. So he goes on and he says, And he has made known to us, having poured out his grace, that continual flow of his love, he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will. Okay, what's a mystery? I, I need audience to participate. Something we don't understand. Something we don't understand, something we don't know, right? Who did it? It's a mystery. I love it. So what did he do? He says, he has made known the mystery of his will. Ever, ever feel like God's will for you is a mystery? I, I, I find a lot of Christians approach uh, the will of God kind of like a Ouija board. Oh, Lord. You know, it's like, you know, grab the Bible. Lord, if it is your will that, I, that this is the woman for me, give me a verse. You know, and, and, and it's like, and you get, you know, and he went out and, uh, you know, hung himself. You know, and you're like, ah. Oh. No, the thing is, is the mystery of his will. The mystery, he's made known to you. God is not playing hard to get. He is not holding out on you. He is not giving you the silent treatment. I love the, in, in, uh, in John 14, he goes, guys, guys, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because I have made known everything the Father has made known to me. I've made known to you. God's not holding out on you. He wants you to understand his will for you. And so he said, but it's not just his will like this. Uh, have you ever had this experience? You feel like God's saying, go do that. Tell me how it works out for you. I'll be over here if you need me. You know, there's this thing that when God tells you the will, it can be overwhelming because here's the deal. God has a will for your life. It's a vision of amazing proportion. If you are not terrified by the vision God has for you, you haven't yet seen it. Because God purposely calls us to things that are beyond our ability. He calls us to things that only He can do through us. The thing is, some of you go, well, hey, you know, it's a little late for me, you know. Uh, and besides, I'm starting way behind the eight ball. You remember a guy by the name of Moses? He, got, he recognized God had a vision for his life. He had a vision for him to lead, deliver the Israelites. And so he said, that's a great idea, God. I've got that one for you. I'm going to do it one Egyptian at a time. And he goes out and kills an Egyptian. How, if I do one Egyptian a week, how long is it going to take me to free the Israelites? And what happens? He actually ends up on the run from the law. He's 40 when that happens. 40 more years he's sitting there. So if you're under the age of 80, you're legal. He sits there 80 years. He's on the back of beyond with stinky sheep. Anybody working a dead end job? Don't think God sees you. Don't think God knows your name. Doesn't know your address. He's thinking he's just out there with sheep going, oh, man, they want to let me shear the sheep. They, man, they won't even let me eat mutton. What is this? I'm just back on the backside of the desert with these sheep. And God goes, Moses, you remember what I I told you that vision I had for you to lead the people out of Egypt. Guess what? I meant it. You did? Really? Yeah, I meant it. And I haven't stopped meaning it for you. Some of it, one of the things is that if the devil can't fight you, he'll help you. So, ever had that thing where you get a vision for your life and you're like, oh, and you believe God. Yes, it's true. You have called me to go to outermost Africa. And so you say goodbye to your friends the next day and you buy a one-way ticket and, and go get to Africa and you can't figure out what to do. Have you ever tried to accomplish your own vision for yourself right off the bat? How did that work out for you? <laughs> That's, remember what happened to Joseph? Joseph's like, God gives him a dream. Joseph, you will be mighty and your family will bow down to you. I, as a youngest child, that's awesome. 
That is, I would love that. And so being a very smart young man, he went to his older brothers who were much bigger, stronger, and hated him already because he was this not-nosed kid. And he, and, and he goes, you're going to bow down to me. You guys want to work on that? Because I want you to pull something. Go ahead. Just give it a shot. And how did that work out for him? He got a one-way ticket to Egypt. Let me tell you, I don't believe he had to go to Egypt as a slave. I think he made some really bad decisions, and I think some other people made even worse decisions. There are things that you've done, and there's things that other people have done to you that you feel disqualify you from the vision God has for your life. But I want you to know he knows your location. He knows where you are. He knows where you're starting, and he's not freaked out. It may take a little longer. It always does take longer. We want it today. But God, in the world, you're promoted to your level of incompetence. Ever, anybody ever had that happen to you? Not to you, but to the people in your office. Um, you know, your guy is an amazing salesman. Best salesman out there. So they promote him to be manager of sales. The problem is, being a great salesman doesn't make you a great manager of people. And so what they do, they promote you to where your level of failure. You, you excel at one thing, they promote you to another. In the kingdom, God promotes you when you're ready to thrive at the next level. See, you've been watching people getting promoted around you and going, bah, 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 and God's like, Shh, I want to work on you because they're getting up there and floundering. I'm going to promote you to thrive. I'm good. And so the thing is, is unbeknownst to Moses, when he's working with the sheep, God's not done with him. Because you know what? Leading sheep is a lot like leading six million people. And so God's been teaching him, you know, like karate kid, wax on, wax off. He's been teaching you things in this season to prepare you for your destiny. He hasn't forgotten you. And so the thing is, is he wants you to know his will. But if we try to get into our, his will on our own, we will die. But see, God shows us from our location. He shows us a vision of our destiny so that for the joy set before us, we'll go through the process. But I want you to know, you're like, oh, process. It's going to be bad, isn't it? I know it's going to be bad. No, we're called to a life of going from glory to glory. The thing is, God is your father. He is a loving father. He's a good father. But he wants to call you out of darkness into the fullness of his marvelous light. And so... Again, he gives us a vision, but then it says he showed us the mystery of his will with all wisdom and insight. So in other words, everything you need is included. The wisdom and insight is the means understanding what you need to do to walk out the will to achieve the vision he has for your life. And according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, and here's the weird one, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the, that, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. With a view to the administration, I, 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 um, I don't know about you, but administration for me for a long time was a dirty word. I worked in my way through college in a records management facility about a half mile underground with um, these computer t- uh, tapes that had a 10-digit code on them, and they went into an eight-digit slot. So I'm sitting there going around, 103.9794 in slot 3. I mean, that was me. Administration was file, you know, doing files. You know what? Administration is not that. There's a reason why there's a spiritual gift of administration, we're told. The reason is administration is understanding the right person for the right task at the right time with the right people. That's its supernatural administration. It's understanding how to do the right thing at the right time with the right people. And it makes all the difference. Because remember that flow of God's grace I was telling you about? 
See, God's grace is pointed to you at you all the time for you to be able to walk in the fullness of what he has for you, but not by your own strength. How can you know if you're doing something in your own strength? Well, the fruit of the spirit is evident. Depression, confusion, anger, frustration. Anybody? Are those the fruit of the spirit we want? No, that's another spirit. When you're experiencing frustration, anger, hatred, shame, confusion, this is not the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Very good, very good. Some of you are faster than others. These, okay, seriously, there's no confusion between these two things, is there? I mean, do it. This is the deal. God, when he describes the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, he's not talking about, all right, you got your list of to-dos, go love. Go be patient. Have you ever had someone say, I'm trying to be patient with you? Run. Run. You know what I'm talking about. It's only because I love you. No, 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 you don't. We would not be having this conversation if you had to tell me that. See, the thing is, is God's not calling you. Those are not character attributes that we have to work up. Those are the natural, supernatural, emotional life of the spirit flowing through you. Love. That's why Paul can say, rejoice always. And you're like, Paul, you don't know nothing about my life. I can't rejoice always. Paul's like, okay, wait, uh, let me see. I had wild animals sick on me. I got got, uh, thrown in jail. I I got uh, stoned to death. Rejoice always. Why could he say that? Because he says, God wants to flow in you, fill you with enough, so that out of you flows love, joy, peace. You experience these things, and they flow through you. That, the thing is, in every moment, there is grace. There is empowering love for you to do the will of God in every moment. How do you know? Again, how do you know if you're walking in it? Because the supernatural life of the Spirit comes, fills you and goes out through you. Well, but I'm doing what God told me to do. Have you ever done, tried to do for God in your own strength? It doesn't work out well. If you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't mean that you're not doing what He's called you to do. It just means you're doing it in your own effort. And i got to tell you, yeah, for those of you like tennis, you know the sweet spot on a racket? Man, I, the first time I discovered that as a kid, I was like, I am Superman. You know, it's like, because normally I'm like hitting it with the edge and it's like, thong, 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 and I hit it. I'm like, I can do home runs with this. I'm taking this to the baseball. You know, the thing is, <clears throat> when you are walking in the grace of God, it, he comes behind you and he provides you the means to do what he's called you to do and to do it with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So the thing is, the minute you realize you're not having the life that God promised, you know what you're going to do? Stop. Have you ever done that? What is the definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So if, you're, if everything you're doing has brought you to the place of frustration, depression, then stop and say, God, what am I missing? What am I missing? <clears throat> and watch him look for the grace. You're like, yeah, but I'm so confused. I don't know what the grace is. Jesus, what would you have me do? Crickets. Anybody have crickets when you ask God to talk to you? Isn't that awesome? The thing is, is he's given you good senses. God, what would you have me do? Test something out. Try something. Don't leap off a cliff. You know, if you're blindfolded, I'm up here. I'd, I'm going to not take big steps. 
I'm going to do little steps and I'm going to look for the grace. I'm going to look. It doesn't mean I bail on the situation. It means, God, I know you're here. I know you want to release something through me. I know you want to empower me here. I know you want to give me wisdom and insight. Um, because the thing is, is God's will for us. First of all, we, God, Jesus said, what, what, what is God's will towards us? It is, he said, I came that you might have and life and what kind of life? Abundant, that lavishing, overflowing life. Anybody got overflowing life yet? Can you give me some? All right. The thing is, is we're meant, that's the standard of what God has for us. But there's, he said, but I'll tell you what, there's somebody else who has a will for you too. But the thief comes to <coughs> steal, kill, and destroy. So here's my question. There are things in your life and they are killing you, they're stealing from you, and they're destroying you. Whose, whose will is that to you? The enemy. This is not a trick question, by the way. The thing is, Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you'll never come into the kingdom of heaven. The thing is, he, uh, children make things really simple, right? Like you tell them, it's going to be fun. And they know you're lying. You know what I mean? They know. They, things are simple for them. They understand. And, and the thing is, we make things complicated. The thing is, there is... The will of God towards me is obvious. What's the will of God for me, for me to do? Well, again, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want me doing any of the stealing, killing, and destroying stuff, right? We're pretty good on that, right? I, I saw a Facebook post, you know, God, ladies, God will not lead you. Will, the man, God will not give you somebody else's man. You know, we don't have to be, oh, I don't know, I feel, feel called to a married man. No, you don't. We know this. We're not dumb. We know it's not. But when we get over into the area of the good stuff, because God's desire is that the kingdom invades every area of society, there's a lot of good things to do. What are some good things, some areas of life and society? You're awesome. Thank you. Um, the, uh, what is the areas of society that God wants to invade? What are some good things that God wants us to be doing? This is feedback. Foster care. Foster care. Boom. Nothing else. Apparently only foster care. <laughs> Don't make me. I can stay up here all day. Elementary, Elementary outreach. What else? Feed the hungry. Feed the hungry. Business, yes. Can you imagine? You know, you spend two to four hours a week in church. You spend 40, weeks, 40 hours a week at a job. What if your job was your church? What if people came there to get discipled? What if people it came to you and your business actually created benefit for them so they could feed their families and that actually they could do better what they're called to do? What else? What are other areas? You think God wants to be in politics? Yes, he does. What else? Your neighbor. Family. School. Uh, how about human trafficking? How about famine? Disease. God is passionate about all these things. But do you know what? He's passionate for you in certain areas. Have you ever had that? Like you're not called to a given area and you hang out with your friend who is. And by the time you leave, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty sure that you're not even a Christian anymore. You know, because if you really love Jesus, you would be hungry. People are starving. <laughs> by the way, grace is an empowering influence. 
Shame, guilt, and condemnation is another kind of influence. So the thing is, God's called you to certain things. He's not called you to everything. So you need to understand God's called you to things that are your grace. You know what? Don't trade what is your grace for what is somebody else's grace. Don't trade what is God's will for you for somebody else's because it will be chewing gravel for you to do what they're doing. But to do what you're called to do, you will go from glory to glory. You'll experience joy, peace and passion and life. And so the thing is, is this is this is what uh, he says. He says the administration suitable to the fullness of the times. Do you know what the administration he's really talking about? It's two part. The administration is step one. Jesus died on a cross to connect us with our father. And step two is he took it a step further and he put the Holy Spirit, who is God, inside of us to empower us to do the very thing that he told us to tell us what to do and to give us the power to do it. Now, if having God on the inside doesn't melt your brain, we haven't yet understood it. God doesn't want to be an observer of your life. He wants to be the empowering influence of your life. He wants to give you the means to change the world around you. You know what? One person in obedience to God is always in the majority, no matter how many other people are in the environment. You come with you. Uh, You come with you. You, God comes with you. And see, it's the fullness of the times. What is the fullness of the times? That is that the summing up of all things in Christ. In other words, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That famine will bow the knee to Jesus. That war will bow the knee to Jesus. That human trafficking. That that child slavery. That that, um, that the, the child who is alone will be placed in a family. That every area of life, we our mandate hasn't changed. What was the mandate to... to um, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Extend the Garden of Eden. Eden means delight. Expend, extend delight over the entire planet. Our mandate is still the same. To bring people into a delightful encounter with the living God who loves them desperately. And to remind them who they are. So we have my location and we have the vision God has for us in between is the administration, the strategy, the provision to walk that out. Do you know how many years there was between uh, Moses understanding his call and when he walked in it? Forty years. Remember, Abraham, how many years was there between when God said, Abraham, you are going to be amazing and all the world would be blessed. You remember God met Abraham. He met him in the, it was 26 years. He met him and he said, you want just a kid. Remember Abraham? Just, I don't want a kid. I'll take any. Give me a kid. And God goes, you know what? I'm not just going to give you a kid. I'm going to give you an entire nation more than the stars of the sky. You have a dream. God has a bigger dream, but it's in the middle of your dream. He has a dream for you. And so 26 years, David was anointed king. How long till he became king? Somewhere between 13 and 17 years. How long did it take from when Paul was first called and he went on a missionary journey? 14 years. How long was it? I'm not doing this to depress you. I'm doing this to encourage you. See, many of you have been in a process of bringing you toward the vision and you think you've taken a detour. David lives here. 
Jerusalem, where the king was, was here. Which way? And then from there, he spent 13, 14 years doing this. Till he came back to here. Joseph, same deal. Every time, God will lead you on a journey, but he won't drive you directly to the vision, but he will do, he will build the vision in you. God's vision for you is not activity, it's your identity. Because if you know who you are, then effortlessly flows out of you what he made you to do. And so, the thing is, remember I said, going all the way to the vision in one step will kill you, right? Just by a show of hands. Seriously, how many people have tried that? You ever? Yeah? Good. Yay! I feel like we're going to have like a Christian's Anonymous meeting afterwards. You know, because, here's the deal. The bad stuff that happened when you tried to jump straight into your vision was not God's fault. It was not God saying no to your vision. It was simply, my daughter is five years old and she loves cars. Her vision is to drive a car. How is it going to work out if we uh, let her, you know, speed up that process? You ever seen those videos of the kids who got behind the wheel? I mean, it's terrifying. The thing is, if she got behind the wheel, she could kill other people or herself. But it's still God's will for her to walk in that. God has things for you. He has a vision for you. Don't give up on the vision because that's going to empower you to go through the process. But, so, the thing is, the question is, what God would you have me do today in, my, in that vision? Um, I, I, one of the verses in Scripture that's most annoying, there are a lot of annoying Scriptures, by the way, is, is your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet. You ever seen one of those oil lamps? They give out really bad light, they sputter, and if there's a wind, they go out. And you're sitting there going, and so really, if you're going to be a lamp to your feet, you're going to be walking like this. God will not show you the 47 steps to your vision. He won't. You know why? Because he loves you. Because if God showed you the 47 steps to your vision, what would you do? Freak out, run, or in your stupidity, try to do it on your own. God wants to do it in us and through us and with us. God is calling us to a journey with us. He said, do you see where I'm taking you? Uh Uh-huh. You want to be part of this, Abraham? Yep. Okay, let's go for a walk. And Abraham, God is building in Abraham the means to father a man who will found a nation. And that's the thing. is God is doing, you think you see your vision clearly. You don't see your vision clearly. God does. And so what, what God does want to do is he probably wants to give you some strategy. In other words, well, I'm just going to be real from our experience. Five years ago, we came off the mission field. We were, our location was broken, wounded, and we had been working with years for orphans and discovered that we were, in fact, orphans. See, we didn't realize that. We thought we were great mother and father. You know why? We were orphans. We never had anybody else father us. See, you can't give away what you don't have. You can't give away what hasn't been given to you. And so we were sitting there and we realized we were orphans. And so we realized if we were to get into the vision God had for us, because we felt like God wanted us to plant a church, it was we needed to learn to become, we needed, if we were wounded, we needed to become whole. If we were um, wounded, we needed to get healed. And if we're orphans, we need to become a son and daughter, right? So I'm like, not a problem, Lord. I made a list. Figure out, I'll, we'll do that. All right, awesome. God called us to Riverstone and to submit to uh, the leadership of Tom and Melissa Tanner and allow them to father and mother us. 
It probably should take about three weeks. So not a problem. We'll get this out of the way. And so we sat down and we, we want to plant a church. They said, yeah, let's do that. Nothing for a, a while, you know, but and another thing is we, so we went to a, um, a, a ministry school two nights a week so that we could g- grow in our identity in Christ and that we could get healed. So God gave us a couple first steps to do. Now I'm still thinking it's going to be three weeks, right? We get done with ministry school. I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm ready. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the thing is, he said, Peter, I called you to be a son and a daughter in this house. That means don't promote yourself. And you, you just, you, you know, nobody, nobody was saying, Peter and Masha, you should plant a church. So I was like, okay, well, Lord, what would you have us do? Well, we're really passionate about people learning to hear God's voice. So we came up with this idea of just having a summer come as you are, come and go small group. Um, cause there are no small groups usually at Riverstone over the summer and on learning to hear God's voice. Now, we're pretty powerful people. We could have done that on our own. But I was like, Lord, he's like, you're learning to be a son and a daughter. So I went to Tom Tanner. I had it all written out. And I said, Tom, what do you think of this? This is just something we feel would be good to do. And, um, you know, if you want to change anything or you'd like us to do it or somebody else to do it, whatever. That was really scary for me. That was very scary for me to go to someone else and say, what do you think? And I'm going to live and die by what you say. I trust you. I, you know, when I first met my wife, I had been very wounded in another relationship. And I remember looking at her, I go, I trust you. But you know what I realized? I don't trust you. I trust God's ability to move through you, regardless of your choices. And so to do that, I, I, we came there and we started to do a small group. And that small group was awesome and it ended. And I'm like, oh, what's next? Little by little, God gave us more things to do. Small groups. We started to do summer trainings. We just little by little, we did. We step by step. And, but about two years in, God said, Peter, you're just at Riverstone because they'll plant you. <gasps> Don't you hate it when God calls you out? Because he's, he's always right. And, and I was like, yeah. He said, so I want you to go to Tom and I want you to pull out of the church planning process. Tom, we're out. We just feel we need to invest and support your vision. See, if it's his vision for you, if it's you're walking with him, he will bring it to pass. And so at the very end, what happens is we, uh, November of 2014, Masha and I looked at each other and we're like, we're so glad we didn't plan a church before now. Because God did so much to change us in that process, to bring us to the point where we're like, we don't know if we'll plant a church, but we trust God. Two months later, Tom comes up to me and goes, Peter, we're thinking it's time to plant a church. Great. We think it's going to be you. What do you think? I'm like, I wasn't prepared. Do you know how powerful it is to be promoted into your destiny? Because when you, what you attain by your own efforts, you must, by your own efforts, work to keep. But what you receive by grace, you get to maintain by grace. We're going we're gonna to um, go into a ministry time right now. And what I really want to encourage, I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know if you just realized you, you don't know Jesus and you want to. This is a great time for that. Their teams will come to the front and pray with you. Maybe you're realizing, you know what? I've been blaming God all these years for not bringing me into my destiny. But it wasn't God at all. 
it was my own decisions or the decisions of others. Maybe it's you realize that you thought you just, you're just stuck in an elevator that's not moving, but all this time God's been building things in you to bring you into the destiny. Maybe you're at a place where you want to say yes to the vision he has for your life for the first time or for the hundredth time. And whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, I want to encourage us as we're, as we're um, worshiping to just embrace what God is doing and say yes to the flow of grace that he's releasing over you right now to partner with him for the things he has in your life.